John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says to those who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Freedom is, is something that we as people love, don't we? I love freedom. Um, the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July, 1776, it says, begins with, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For us, we look at, at the Bill of Rights that was given to us as a nation. Things like the First Amendment, where it says, Congress shall make no law res- respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. These are rights that... We are to have as Americans rights that we have as people who live in this country. I one that has a lot of political feelings. Uh, I I struggle with so many decisions that our government makes, and 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 the bigger our government gets, the more I struggle with the decisions that it makes. But I've traveled to a lot of different places and seen a lot of places that um, have far less rights than what we have here as Americans. The, the freedom to, to be able to, to establish religion and to have the, f- exercise, the, the ability to, to freely exercise that religion is something for us that, that matters. You go to places where that's just not the case. The ability to just to speak freely, the ability to to have freedom of the press, um, the Second Amendment, uh, well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and to bear arms shall not be infringed. You think of all of the amendments that were that, that were put in this this Bill of Rights, and they're put there because these people knew what it was to not have that kind of freedom. They, they knew what it was to live in a place of, of being in bondage, being in a place where you could die because the, the king or the queen of England changed, and now they're Catholic, or now they're Protestant. You could, in, in this particular group of people that wrote this, they, they cared so much about, about freedom. Fourth Amendment, the right of people to to be secure in their person, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures 
shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath and affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or or things to be seized. There's rights that we have. You can't just come into our house. You can't just come and and search our house. Yet I was reading from Voice of the Martyrs that just in one city alone last year, there was 231 churches that were attacked by government officials last year. In one city, 231 churches. You may have seen some of it where they were forcing them to take down crosses and, and things like that. And I met so many people that pastors and church members in China that struggled in just incredible ways. The, the picture that would be there of China is there's so much freedom now, but I, I think of times being there where watching a 76-year-old man climb down the side of our hotel because the police were in the lobby. 76 years old. I looked how he climbed down and jumping from one bar to another. And, I mean, it, some, I don't know that many of us would have been able to make it down the side of this building. And he just had spent so much time in prison that he would have done whatever to get out of that place and run off into the woods. Think of a pastor as I, I talked to him about his time in prison and he just said, I wouldn't feed my pigs what they fed me. His old man and just him being there and saying, they, they forced me to stay in the middle of, of, of this quad area and I have to squat there and the rain's hitting me. And you, you look and you're like, Man, this guy's in his 70s beaten because he's a believer because he's going to proclaim the gospel I was reading about in Pakistan how there was a husband and wife that were working at, at a, uh, a place that, that made bricks the owner of the, of the place said that these people owed him husband and wife owed him $970 and they disagreed that they owed him that. So he had them announce from the speakers that these people burned a Koran, which they did not do. So on November 4th, this last year, people just mobbed this place. They were locked inside an office. They broke through the roof. They came in and took these people, dragged them behind their, their tractor. Um, she was pregnant. They have three kids that were from six to 18 months, six years old to 18 months. They dragged the husband and wife behind a tractor and then threw them in the kiln and burned them alive. And you look in these people, I, I, I could picture the church in Pakistan. This was just outside of Lahore, Pakistan, an area that I had served in. And just think of, I mentioned Islam in one of my teachings in the entire congregation is like, Shh. you're not allowed to say anything, anything against Islam. Um, but I could picture these people. I mean, I would go maybe three or four places a day teaching. Crowds filled with people. Just so hungry for the gospel. Standing there in the sun for as long as I preach, which you know could be long. And light, their face is just beaming. I mean, just lit up, just loving God's word. 
We have brothers and sisters in Pakistan that suffer just in incredible ways. But you think of our freedoms that we have here. Freedoms to gather. Freedoms to worship. Remember being in Burma where they where we're meeting and they go to, 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 to start singing and they sing quietly. They turn on all the air conditioners so nobody can hear them. Being in Vietnam where they tell me you have to put you know, a handkerchief around your face because your nose is so big they'll know you're not from here. <laughs> okay. It's funny being there. I mean, if you know, if you've been around Vietnam, they're like the tiniest people. And when I was there, it blessed me so much when they're like, you are like Samson. <laughs> I love that. No one ever tells me that here, ever, ever, ever. You're like Samson. But then being in, in places and talking about the times that they've spent in prison. Now you go to the idea of slavery. And it goes to a whole different level. You picture slavery and you picture shackles. You picture people sometimes being whipped or beaten. You picture people being purchased and they're owned and they can't leave. They can't go outside of this place where their master is. Um, they have no rights at all. The master has all the rights. Slavery is such a wicked thing as far as what we've seen throughout history. Jesus here is specifically speaking to these people about how they are in a place where they are slaves. They're slaves to sin. You see the people here where their response is, we... We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can can you say you will be made free? We've never been in bondage to anybody. And yet, anybody that knows anything about Jewish history, Israel's history, knows that that is just not the case. They were in bondage under the Egyptians. They were in bondage for 70 years in the Babylonian captivity. They were in bondage in the time of the judges and under the rule of the Canaanites, that God's people were under the rule of other foreign nations. And even at the time that this is written, they're under the rule of the Roman Empire. Yet they're saying to Jesus in response, how do you say that we've been in bondage to anybody? We have not been in bondage to anybody. Maybe they're just in denial and not thinking of of all of history, which I doubt that they're doing. Or maybe they're just in a place of knowing that Jesus is talking about spiritual bondage. And they're saying, we're Abraham's descendants. We're not slaves. We're We're not in bondage to anybody. How many people who live in our country, how many people around the world would look at themselves and say, I'm not a slave. I'm not in bondage to anybody. I'm free. Well, Jesus is telling us here in this passage that that is not the case. You may not be a slave as far as under a master that is the one that has purchased you and has bought you and you're owned by him and, and you work on his, and, you know, for him or for her in a way where, where it's brutal in that way. But we are definitely, as Jesus says, we're all slaves to sin. 
We're all in a place of being unable to deliver ourselves from the bondage that we're in. We've been taken captive. Scripture tells us that to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them, that the gospel's veiled to them, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. The, the God of this age has blinded them. When you think of the unbeliever and the condition that they're in, God says they're slaves to sin. They're blinded. The God of this age has blinded them. Before we were Christians, 2 Timothy 2.26 says that that we had to come to our senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Just reality, we, we were ones that were taken captive by him to do his will. Ephesians 4.17. Here Paul tells everybody you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk and the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That there's this bondage that people are under where there's this futility of mind and their understanding is darkened and they've been alienated of life with God. Paul says in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I don't have the ability to do it. You, you could take any person, it's an unbeliever, and say, here's what God says in his law. This is the way, walk ye in it. Do these things. And they cannot. It's impossible for them to do that. It's impossible for them to go for a day and always love their neighbor as themselves. Always love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. Much less from the time that, that your, your kids. We are talking at our suppers of eight about our kids and some of the things that they do or have done. And I was... Reminded of, of Natalie just being maybe, I don't know, under one or right around that age, being in the car screaming. And I said, Natalie, stop. And I see her in the back and she just goes, mm. like, whoa. And she still does that, but it's a little bit different. She does it with her mouth now a little bit more. Um, as she struggles with obedience um, at four years old. But you, you look at your kids, and it's, it's not hard to see that they're sinners. Now you take that, and all of us are in bondage to sin. We were in bondage to sin. All, of, all people are in a place of failing to love God with all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all our strength. You hear kids where they say, mine. It's mine. You see them where they're coveting other people's things. And you see it with yourself. Where we do that. Well, 
God doesn't look at these things as small sins. He looks at it as you are in bondage to sin. You are a slave to sin. In 2 Peter 2.14, it says, Having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, and they have a heart trained to trained in covetous practices, eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. This is the way that God describes it. Their eyes are full of adultery and they can't cease from sin. They cannot make themselves stop. In Titus 3.3 3, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what we were like. We're foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful and hating one another. And God just says, this describes all of mankind. There's none that are righteous, not even one of them. We're slaves to sin. But that Titus passage goes on and goes from there to say, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared towards men, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He saves us. We serve a God that takes us, and he can take us who were slaves of sin and make us free. We can be free in a way that nobody in this world has ever known freedom. We can say that we're free as Americans, and we have a lot of freedoms. But there's some freedoms that we don't have. We don't have the ability to live in a way in which we fulfill all righteousness. We don't have a way of living from the time that we were born and to live to an old age and never sin. We don't have these kind of freedoms. We're in bondage to sin. We're slaves to sin, as God tells us. But Jesus says to these people in verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. This is an awesome passage for us this morning. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. To abide in God's word is to make the Bible the source of your truth and that which governs your life. You'll act in accordance with the word of God. The ones who are his disciples indeed, God tells us here, are those who abide in his word. The word indeed means that you are a true disciple or you're a real disciple. This is not a work to be done to, to earn the title of disciple. It's the manifestation or the fruit of being, being a, a true disciple. If you are a true disciple, you are those that, that abide in his word. There's many people who say that they are disciples of Christ, but in reality, they follow their own sinful desires and they don't have a desire at all to abide in his word. This is important for us to look at this morning because within the church across our country and throughout the world, I got to think that there are just pews and chairs and halls and sanctuaries that are 
filled this morning with people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And yet, they live in such a way that radically contrasts Christianity. There's people that, that say one thing, and God describes them in a number of different ways. They're terrors that are there amongst the wheat. They look like wheat, but they're not. There's those that will, will come to him in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things? And the response is, depart from me, I never knew you. There's those that would look and say, I walked an aisle when I was eight years old or ten years old, or I said that prayer when I was that age. I'm good. I'm fine. But their lives, they haven't changed at all. They just continue in sin, and they continue in a place of living for the world. We would do altar calls in Sudan, and, 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 and I, I, I imagine, I, I, I could picture going to the same village over and over again, and we would have these outreaches, and there would be thousands of people who would come. And we'd have a speaker system, and we'd show the Jesus film, or we would do some other kind of outreach, and we would share the gospel, and we would ask if there's anybody here that would like to pray for forgiveness of sin, pray to, to, to follow Christ, raise your hand. And what I found over and over again is every person, every person there would raise their hand. Every one of them. And yet, you'd go back six months later and there might be a couple new people in church. But everybody else was just living the exact same lives. In their minds, is, we'll, just, we'll add this on to Islam or animism or whatever else. We'll just add this on. But there was no change that took place in their life. We call people to pray and, 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 and pray for forgiveness of sins, and, and you maybe have done that. But you look at the words of Jesus here, and he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You hear Jesus say things like, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They follow me. Jesus says things like, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says in Revelation 3, 7 to those in, in the church of Philadelphia, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, he who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door that no one, and, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Like that little phrase there in the middle is, Philadelphia, you've you got little strength, but you've kept, you've kept my word. It says in 1 John 2, 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And so we look at scripture and we see that, that being a Christian, the evidence that you are a Christian is that you abide in his word. 
I, I pray that if there's someone that's here that's an unbeliever this morning, that, that would, the Holy Spirit would use that just to prick your heart this morning. That you would just look at your life and look and say, like, I think that I live in a way where it reflects that I don't care at all what God thinks. I live in a way where I, don't, I, just, I live for myself. I do the things. I come to church. I come to church because I feel like I should come to church, or I come to church because my family goes to church, or I go and I do these things. But deep down, if I were to look at my life, would God say, this is someone who abides in my word? This isn't any kind of teaching of perfectionism at all. John makes it very clear, in, even in First John from the passage that we just read, that, that if we say that we don't have sin, we're a liar, the truth is in us, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that we sin. We know that all of us will sin. But the question is, is there a heart of repentance? Is there a desire to please him? Do we look at God's word and say, that's how I want to live? I want to abide in his word. I want to, I want to look and say, God, what is, how should I live? What should I do? How, how is it that my life should be? Where do I find truth? What is it that governs my life and the decisions that I make? And I pray that, that you would have great confidence when you look at your life and you say, he's my Lord. Not only is he my Savior, but he's my Lord. And the source of my truth is God's word. And I don't live perfectly and I fail miserably, but I just, I, I, I spend time in his word. I want it planted in my heart that I might not sin against him. I want to live for him. I want to live with him for, with my whole heart. And there's times where I'm going to struggle and there's times where I'm going to fall. And there's times where those that are stronger are going to have to help me up. There's times where I'm going to fail miserably, but deep down, I want to please him and I want to obey him. And I'm, I want to study his word because I really care about pleasing him. I want to abide in him. And Jesus says, if that's where you're at, you are my disciples indeed. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He says to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Abide in his word. Have a passion to abide in his word. Is it biblical? Is it right? Is this what God's will is for me? Is this how I should live? We're not to be the people that are going and trying to find out God's will by seeking signs and wonders or being those that are going to have someone read tarot cards or anything else. We're to be those that look and say, what does God's word say? That's how I want to live. And so he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now look at the progression here in verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is incredible. You'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Being in a place where you look and you say, God, God tells me that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Christ clearly teaches that, that he who has seen Christ has seen the Father, that him and the Father are one, that Jesus is God himself, that he died on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God shows us the law and shows us that we are sinners, shows us that we're in desperate need of a Savior, and then points us to the solution, who is Christ, whose blood was shed for the redemption of sins, to purchase us for himself. And God just says, 
Abide in my word. You will know the truth. You'll know the truth of the gospel. And the, the truth will set you free. It'll make you free. We see in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is reading in the synagogue from the book of Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's reading from the book of Isaiah saying, he's called me to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the captives. Turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. In Romans 6, verse 1, we see how we can be made free. Here Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the response is certainly not, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So how do we get from being slaves of sin to no longer being slaves of sin? It's knowing the truth, and the truth is this. Picture it. Picture Christ upon the cross. You have that picture in your mind? He's there and he's hanging from the cross. He's lived a perfectly righteous life through the entirety of his life. He's fulfilled all righteousness. He's a lamb without spot or without blemish or any such thing. He's the perfect sacrifice for us. And he's there and he's hanging upon the cross. And what God tells us is that when he died on that cross, we died with him. It's radical. I mean, when I look at, at Scripture and I see what hell is like, and when I see what the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God is like, and when you hear him say things like it's black as darkness or it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, when it, it tells us that you are removed from the glory of God, when it tells us it's eternal fire, the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, the wrath that every person deserved who is a slave of sin, and then you picture, picture yourself and you say, I'm... When he died, I died with him. I mean, the punishment that he endured there upon the cross was the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God coming upon him, and I was in him. When he died, I died with him. He died and took that wrath upon me so that I never would have to go through that again. Never would I ever have to experience the wrath of God because it was paid in full. I mean, Think about it. If, if you were to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe I was crucified with him, it, it makes no sense to think later on when you die, you're going to suffer a little bit for the other stuff that wasn't covered. 
It just doesn't make sense when you think of the Son of God came and he died on the cross. He took our sins upon himself so that when he died, we died with him. That's why the scripture says things like there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no more wrath. It's been received through Christ. All the wrath was placed upon him. That's the greatest news ever for us. When, when you, someone says to you, well, why should you be able to go to heaven? I pray to God that there be no one here that responds with, well, I, I think I'm a pretty good person compared to most. Our text here shatters that. No, you're a slave of sin. Rather, the response would be because when he died, I died with him. He took the punishment that I could never have paid for myself. And then when he was buried, I was buried with him. And when he rose again, I rose again with him. That's what it tells us. For We were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You, you died with him, you were buried with him, and when he rose again, the text tells us that we rose again with him. Therefore, walk in newness of life. Therefore, walk in a way that's radically different because through the cross, through his burial, through his resurrection, you have been made free. You were once a slave, but you are no longer a slave at all. You are now free, and you are free indeed. And the reason why you're free is because you know the truth of the gospel, and the truth has set you free. It's just radical for us. I mean, to have it be where we can be a group of people who are here worshiping, and we're not sitting here saying, we sang that song just a little while ago, but it's, it's not based on whether we've raised our hands. It's not based on how humble we dress. It's not based on anything that we have ever done that saves us, but it is totally and completely in the work of Christ upon the cross and our faith in him. I mean, to, to be in a place where you're, you're not living, going like, oh, you know, like, I don't know if I still have my salvation. I don't know if I lost it. I don't know. I mean, I lived a bad week. I mean, this was a horrible week. I've done some bad things. If people knew my thoughts, I mean, there's just horrible thoughts. I, I, and, and you're just sitting there going like, I, I just want to die when I'm at church because then I think I'm good. You know, like if I just die there. But if I go home after the football game, I'm done. You know, like I, you, to live in a place where it's not based on your performance, but it's based upon Christ's performance and his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's why God says, you're slaves, but... Through the truth, you could be free and be free indeed. Real freedom that's there. We're free from the judgment of God. We're free from our guilt. We're free from condemnation. We're free from the wrath of God. We're free now to have God's word come alive in us and change us. We once were blind, but now we can see. The Holy Spirit comes and is resident in our life to where now you have the ability to choose to, to, to obey him and to love him and have fruit come out of your life and to obey his word. There's a change that's taken place because there's a new nature that is there. You've been made a new creation and the Holy Spirit has regenerated you to make that possible. And that is why we would say we are the most free people of all people. It's not based on our country, and it's not based on where we live. It is based on the fact that God has taken us from being slaves to sin, dead in sin, blind, hearts that were hard. He gave us a new heart. He opened our eyes. He changed us, given us his Holy Spirit to minister to us, and has made it so that we're no longer under that condemnation, under that wrath. We're now in a place where there's no temptation that can overtake us. He always makes a way of escape. We have freedom now that we never had before. 
They answer and say, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, Jesus answers and says to them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You want to know if you're in slavery to sin? Did you commit sin? No matter how righteous you think you are, no matter how many good things you've done compared to other people, Jesus simply says, if you've committed sin, you're a slave of sin. And a slave, verse 35, does not abide in the house forever. But a son, a son abides forever. What a radical position God's put us in. You're no longer slaves, but you have been made God's children. You've been made his sons, his daughters. He's given you a place where you have every inheritance. All the inheritance is in Christ. You have been made his own son. And he just says, hey, you guys may say that we have Abraham as our father, but you are a slave still to your sin. And unless you've been set free, unless you've been made a son, you're going to die in that state. They're banking on the fact that we're Abraham's children. And you may be banking on the fact that, well, I grew up in the church. I go to church. I do these things. But Jesus is saying, are you still a slave to sin? Or do you abide in him? Are you, is your faith in him? Has the truth set you free? It's amazing. In Romans six sixteen, if you want to look there for a moment. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. How did it happen? You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You obeyed from the heart the doctrine. You heard the gospel and you believed. And as a result, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are free. But you have been made a slave of righteousness. Now you live to please him, to honor him, to obey him. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Without a doubt, you are free. To me, this passage before us is one that should bring us just incredible joy. Regardless of the trials that you're going through, regardless the difficulties you have, we're free. We are free. Regardless of what governments do, we're free. We are free indeed because the Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord, died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, and he has made us free indeed through faith in him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love your word. To think that there could be a person here this morning who came in here as a slave to their own sin. Believing the gospel that you came and you lived a perfect life and you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead. 
and they can believe upon you on this morning and have freedom like they have never had before. They could be free indeed. A radical change that takes place instantaneously as you bring regeneration and new birth to their lives, changing their hearts and making them able to see and making it so that they're new creations in you. What a glorious thing that is. And then to think of all the believers that are here this morning, to look back upon that moment of their salvation, a time in which you saved them, and to think, I was once a slave, but I have been set free. The chains are gone. The shackles have been removed, and I belong to him. I'm no longer a slave in the house. I'm a son. I have his inheritance. I've been I've seen in Christ, and I belong to him, and I have his righteousness. I pray that would stir our hearts on this morning to worship you with all that is within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.